If you got your Bible, open to 2 Timothy, and we're going to be in chapter 4 this morning. We're going to kind of wrap down the series we've been on for the past three weeks, this series called Run Hard. And I know maybe for some of you, like, that's like the weirdest name you could ever think of. I even had, like, conflict with that. I was like, this is just a weird name. Run is too little. Run Hard is, like, weird. Nobody here is athletic that I know of except for Nick. And, like, this is just a weird title, but... but to be honest, it's just all I could get around. Um, the whole idea for this series came out of um, a talk at Passion. If you've never heard of it, A, um, you should go sometime because it's pretty awesome. Um, and then B, it's this um, conference where a bunch of college kids get together, and obviously I'm old for that, but I go anyway. Um, and, and they get together, and for just like two or three days, just people come in and talk about Jesus, and there's worship music, and it's an amazing time just to connect with God and get away from everything else, but during one of the talks, Louis Giglio made a comment, and um, it was probably like a side comment. If I had mentioned it to him today, he probably wouldn't even know that he said it. It was like not significant to the message at all, but it was significant to me, and, and what he said was people come to him all the time, and they say, how do you balance everything? If you don't know anything about Louis Giglio, he's uh, the leader of Passion Conferences, which, again, is a pretty big thing. Uh, he, he's a pastor at Passion City Church, and now they have three campuses, and there's like a couple thousand people, I think, at two of those, and one's not open yet. It's a pretty big deal if you're going to move all that by, uh, by yourself or even with a team. He, he writes books. He helps write worship songs. He's traveling the globe, preaching it conferences all the time and and people come up to him apparently and they're like how do you balance all that stuff which I think is a really valid question uh, for him and really for us right I think it's a question maybe a lot of us ask ourselves how am I going to balance uh, life and and work and home and and Jesus and church how am I going to balance all those things and maybe some of you guys like fight with that like I don't I don't know how much time to give everything we get kind of in our heads that we have to give everything equal time for some reason, right? You got to be at home this time, be at work this time, be at church this time. And, and really what we end up doing is trying to make everything 50-50, and that doesn't work once you got more than two things, right? It's weird mathematically. Yeah, I'm not good at math, but even I know that. Um, but we try, to, we try to put everything on the, on the same level, and the truth is like, we don't have to. So people ask him all the time, like, how you balance everything? And, and he said this amazing thing, and it, and it hit me really hard. He said, who wants to balance anything? <laughs> Isn't that freeing, just like to hear that? Like, who wants to balance anything? Who, who needs it, right? Who needs to balance anything? We just run hard all the time. And, and from, a, from a man that, that, that does so much stuff really visibly in, in the kingdom of God, it's really nice to hear him say, you know what, I'm not trying to balance home life and, and Jesus' life. That's called idolatry, by the way. I'm not trying to balance, like, family and Jesus. That's idolatry. I'm going to just run towards Jesus. And, and the reality of it is, if we'll just run towards Jesus, he'll take care of everything else, right? Like, if you're following Jesus, do you really think he's going to let you be a bad mom or dad? No, like a bad husband or wife, no, bad employee, no. He's not going to do that, really. Like, if you'll aim towards that, he'll take care of all those other things. And he said that, and it's like, man, that makes so much sense. And then I left that place thinking about that and, like, thought, what if that was just the theme for this year? And here's the reality. I can't make that your theme for this year, right? <laughs> we can hang it up as many times as we want to in the church. We can be like, oh, yeah, run hard. Uh, but if we're not all participating in that, what we're really doing is just having another year that's a lot like last year and the year before that, and the year before that. And, and we get in this cycle where it's really just like, ah, I mean, I'll read if I have time, and I'll pray if I have time, and I'll come if I have time, and I'll serve if I have time. And we, all, we get in that if I have time thing, right? And we need to break the if we have time thing. So what if that was just the theme for this year? That idea that we would just run hard as a, as a church, towards what God would have for us, but even more than that, like as an individual, what if we would just run toward, like, God, what would you have for me this year? And then, side note to that, what do I need to lay down so we can do it? What do I need to move out of the way so I can, I can accomplish that? And that's what we've been talking about the past few weeks, and we're going to just finish that up in Second Timothy 4 today. Um, I love this book. I think it's unique in, in 
in just what it is. Second Timothy is different from all the other letters that Paul wrote. Paul mostly wrote letters to churches, right? You have Romans, the church at Rome, Corinthians, church at Corinth, Colossians, church at Colossae, Ephesians, church at Ephesus, like all these are written to, to mass groups of people really for mass consumption. Even the book of Hebrews that we were in last week was written for like all the Jewish believers that would ever get their hands on that letter, right? It was written for mass audiences, but Second Timothy is different than that. It was never really in, in Paul's eyes probably meant for mass consumption. In God's eyes, he knew exactly where it was going. It was kind of going right here in this book, but Paul would have never thought that when he was writing this letter. He's writing a letter to his friend Timothy, who was like his protege, his um, disciple, his apprentice, maybe, if we could just use these words, and somebody he viewed in his own words as a beloved son. It's an intimate letter to one person, not a mass letter to, to the church. And, and another amazing thing about this letter is this letter was written at the very end of Paul's life. This letter wasn't written like in the middle of a thriving ministry. It wasn't written from Paul, the the writer of the New Testament. It was written from Paul who'd been sentenced to death and was about to be executed. And I think the amazing thing is that gives us so much opportunity in this letter because this is everything that he would say if he wasn't saying it to everybody else, right? Like, you know, Paul's not going to jump in the letter to the church at Colossae and be like, hey, I just want you to know this is horrible. But he might do that with Timothy, right? This is my friend. This is my brother. This is somebody I view as a, as a beloved son. It's a very personal letter, and it's at the time where he knows, man, I'm about to leave this planet. So everything I'm going to say here is stuff that, that I've always wanted to say. Paul would maybe even as soon as, it, as a few months after this, maybe even a year after this, he, he would have been executed. He, he was going to die, and he knew that. And this is the letter that he writes to Timothy at the very end of his life. And we're going to start in, in four and talk about some of this. But what he starts with is um, th- this, this charge. And he says to Timothy, before God, before God, you know, the Father, the Creator, the one who made everything, before that guy, and Christ Jesus, you know, the Savior, the one who died for everybody, you and me, the one who you know, took our sin and our shame, that guy, before God and Christ Jesus, who, by the way, is, uh, he's, he's going to judge the living and the dead. You know, Jesus, the Savior, who's, who's going to judge the living and the dead. And that includes us, by the way, Timothy. He's going to judge us. Uh, and, and by his appearing, by the way, he's coming back. And by his kingdom, he, he sits on the throne and he's in charge of everything. And that means you and me. He, he says, by those people, I solemnly charge you. He's giving him a charge or a, a, a command. He, he's he's going to entrust him with something. I think I have the definition maybe of charge back there, hopefully. Uh, if we got Yeah, charge is on there. Uh, the definition of charge is to entrust someone with a task or a duty or a responsibility, to, to trust somebody with, with something. And, and what he's saying here is, I'm about to pass to you, I'm about to entrust you with the ministry of Paul. See, Paul knows that he's dying. He knows he's leaving this planet. He knows that he's not going to be around very long to continue to write letters to the churches and con- to continue to travel and to, and to minister to believers and to continue to, to plant churches and share the message of the gospel. He knows he's not going to be around to do that very long. But luckily, Paul's been pouring into this kid, Timothy, for years now. He's been training him, he's been showing him, and he's ready now at his death to pass on the ministry of Paul to Timothy. So he looks at Timothy through this letter. He can't be there in person. Unfortunately, he's in jail and he's about to be executed. But he passes on through this letter um, the, the ministry of Paul. And he says, I trust you or I charge you before God. I'm giving you this, but I want you to know before I give you this, I'm doing it in front of God. Like God's watching this go down. Can you feel the weight he's like starting to stack on Timothy here? And he's like, oh, just not, not just God, not just ambiguous God or not just Father God, but God and, by the way, Christ Jesus, the Savior. I'm just going to stack that stone on top there. I'm charging you with this. I'm trusting you with this ministry, but I'm doing it in front of God and in front of Jesus, who, by the way, is going to judge everybody, including me and you. So there's some more weight on top of there. And, by the way, who's coming back, who loves his appearing, he's coming back. So I'm going to stack some more weight on there. And, by the way, 
who sits on his throne. It's his kingdom, and he's in charge, and you're part of that kingdom, so he's your boss. Anybody look at that, and you're like, Paul, that's overkill, brother. Like, why are you doing that? Like, Timothy, he's a good kid, right? Like, you're, well, you're writing a letter to him. He's obviously not a bad dude. You, you should be able to trust him. But I, I kind of, like, think about this for a minute, and, and, and it really starts to make sense. What Paul is about to entrust Timothy with is a massive, massive responsibility. And if Timothy is going to continue to to this ministry and continue to do these things, he's going to need to know when, when Paul dies, it's still important. When Paul leaves this planet, there's still work to be done. And, and the way that he does that is he starts laying these stones, this weight on his back, and he's saying, man, you're not doing this for Paul. I'm not giving you this ministry and entrusting you with my ministry so that at the end of the day, people will be talking about how great Paul is. The reason I'm giving you this ministry is because God gave it to me, and now we're going to transfer the power, right? And so I want you to know it's not about Paul. Because there's going to be some things that happen that are not going to be pleasant in your life and in your ministry. Imagine this, coming from a guy who's in jail who knows he's been sentenced to death by Nero. He's going to be beheaded, and he knows that's coming. And now he's saying, hey, I want you to follow me into that. It's hard to follow a guy into jail, isn't it? And it's even harder to follow a guy into, they're going to chop my head off, and I'm asking you to do the same thing that got me here. So when they're throwing rocks at Timothy in a couple months down the road because he's out there sharing the gospel, what he wants him to know is, it's not for Paul. Because if it's for Paul, Paul's dead, and I'd rather not be stoned today. He's going to know there's going to be a moment, Timothy, where they're going to tell you to shut up. And if you don't, they're going to put you in jail. And he's going to need to know, I'm not taking jail for Paul. I'm taking jail for something greater. So Paul says, we're going to need some momentum here because there's a seriousness to this mission. This mission is not about the ministry of Paul. It's about the mission that God has handed me, and now I'm passing it off to you. So we're going to transfer power, but when we do that, I want you to know there's some people watching today that know you're taking up the responsibility, and one of those people is God. God's watching this. God told me I could trust you, so here you go. But remember, when they're trying to lock you up, God is the one we're doing it for. There's another guy here. His name's Jesus. He's going to judge the living and the dead. We're going to have to stand before him one day. Oh, and by the way, he's coming back, so it may be sooner than later. And by the way, you're part of his kingdom, so he's kind of the boss. Remember that whole prayer, I'll give you my life that you prayed? Yeah, that thing. Um, He's the boss here, and um, he's watching this go down too. So when they're going to take you out in the street and throw rocks at you because you won't be quiet, remember, it's not for Paul. It's for Jesus. So today, in this letter, I'm telling you, Timothy, I trust you. But I'm trusting you with something greater than Paul's ministry. I'm trusting you with what God and Jesus have given me. So he starts stacking up these weights. See, the truth of it is, um, Timothy would never continue this ministry if he didn't realize the seriousness of the mission. It's the same for us, isn't it? Some preachers stand up, oh, yeah, you need to serve. Oh, that's great, that's great. Um, I'll do that until it gets rough, and then I'm done, right? Oh, you need to read. Oh, that's great. And the preacher said, I need to read. I'll read, and now I want to watch TV, so I'm going to quit reading. But the truth of it is, it was never Paul, and it's never a preacher that's called you to do anything that God's told you to do. It's always God that tells you to do it, and really the transfer there is coming from him. So when we fail at following God, who are we failing? The preacher? No, it's not my business. So the weight that he's stacking on him here is not, I'm going to be really disappointed from heaven. It's, hey, God is watching this go down. And then two, he says, here's the mission, right? All of one was like, here's the seriousness of the mission. And two, he says, here's the mission. Proclaim the message. I charge you, right, in front of Christ Jesus, in front of God. He's going to judge you. He's thrown coming back and and then he comes out with this thing he says proclaim the message now that's crazy to me um because i think most of the time we would put something else in that spot right 
Like here's Paul, this minister who wrote a lot of the New Testament, who went around planting churches, who just shared the gospel, and we saw massive amounts of believers come to know Jesus because of this guy. And, and he doesn't say, hey, Timothy, here's mission number A, formula for planting churches, right? Didn't even worry about that. Or here's mission A, let's go write some more of the New Testament, brother. Get your pen ready, you're going to write letters. He didn't trust him with that. He didn't say, hey, Timothy, here's mission number one, live a very moral life. Here's mission number one, read the Bible daily. Here's mission number one, pray like the heavens are coming down. He didn't say any of that stuff. He said, here's mission number one, proclaim the message, share the gospel, share the gospel. You would have expected, kind of like me, right, if you hadn't read this before, him to come out with some amazing, like, this is the thing, this is the key, this is the, this is the, this is the moment ministry happens. But he didn't do any of that. It was actually a very simple message because Paul really actually had a very simple ministry. How can you say that about a man who wrote most of the New Testament? Well, what was he doing? Just proclaiming the message. He didn't know, right? Oh, I'm going to write all these books and they're going to put it in a book and they're going to call it the Bible and people are going to be reading it for years. It's going to be amazing. He didn't know that and or care. He wasn't trying to get famous. He was just trying to proclaim the message. I'm going to plant churches all over, all over the place. I'm going to roll up into this town. There's going to be no believers. I'm going to step in the middle here, and I'm going to just share the message of God, and they're going to plant a church, and it's going to grow, and it's going to be an amazing thing. He didn't know any of that. He didn't actually care about any of that. He wasn't going around like, you know what? I just want to plant some mega churches today. I'm going to go plant some mega churches. He wasn't doing that. He was just proclaiming the message. Everything he did, actually, was about proclaiming the message. The whole reason he was in jail was what? Not because he planted churches and not because he's writing letters. It's because he was proclaiming the message. He says, the very thing that got me here is the very thing I want you to do. You know why he had a successful ministry? Because he had a simple ministry. Because it was about one thing. I'm going to proclaim the message. Here's here's what I'm going to pass on to you. Proclaim the message. So he says, here, Timothy, this is the most important thing I can load you down with today in front of God and Jesus. I'm going to just let you know, here's the command, proclaim the message. And the amazing thing here is the the command that he gives him echoes the last command that Jesus gave the church, right? Go make disciples. He just took him seriously, and look what God did because he took him seriously. You know, we're like, oh, God will never use me. Yeah, because we don't actually listen to what he says. Um, but he says, proclaim the message. But then I love this. Not only does he say, proclaim the message, he says, persist in it, whether convenient or not. Do we have persist up there? Persist is a word that means to continue firmly or obstinately. I love that. In an opinion or a course of action, in spite of difficulty, opposition, or failure. I love that word because in that word, it assumes that you will fail, Right? persist in it proclaim the message you're gonna fail coming from paul man you're supposed to be a cheerleader man you're supposed to tell me i'm gonna write letters in the new testament that that people are gonna come know jesus i'm gonna plant churches you're trying to pass this ministry off on me and then you're telling me you're gonna fail it assumes you're gonna fail Persist in it, continue firmly or obstinately in an opinion or a course of action in spite of what? Difficulty, opposition, or failure. You're going to fail, people are going to come against you, and it's going to be hard. Do it anyway and spit in its face while you do it. Do it anyway. He says, proclaim the message, and when people come against you, do it. And when people hate you, do it. And when they lock you up, do it. And when they get their stones out, do it. Continue to do it. And, and you're going to fail. And people aren't going to listen. And, and you're going to go to places. And you're going to try to plant a church. And they're not going to plant a church. They're going to run you out of town. And you're going to try to go here. And you're not going to get to go there because God's going to turn you over here. And then you're not going to get to go there. And God's going to turn you over here. And you're going to fail. 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 Persist. Why? Because it's worth it. We don't persist in things that we do not believe are worth it. I want you to hear that, right? Maybe this is a Timothy-specific calling here, but I just want you to know we all have a calling, and we don't persist in callings that we do not believe are worth it. Well, why do you quit doing what God told you to do? Because you don't believe it's worth it. 
Why do you not continue to pursue God? Because you don't believe it's worth it. Why do you not read? Why do you not pray? Why do you not come? Why do you, why do you not serve? Why do you not do anything that you do, right? Because we don't believe it's worth it. He says, proclaim the message, and then he says, persist in it. And I love this. He says, whether it's convenient, because sometimes it will be, or not, because a lot of times it won't be. Don't try to balance stuff, is what he's saying, right? It's not about balance. It's not about convenience. It's not about trying to match this with this. It's not going to be convenient. Do it anyway. And then he says this. This is like part number two. Rebuke. Correct and encourage with great patience and teaching. This is part number two of the Timothy-specific command, right? He says rebuke. Rebuke is to express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior or their actions. Now, some of you heard that, and you're like, that is my spiritual gift. Thank you, Lord. You finally got there, right? Like, I've been waiting on this moment. been here for two years. I've been waiting for you to tell me what my spiritual gift is, and now we have identified it, right? Rebuke. Express sharp disapproval. I'm good at that like a professional at that, right? <laughs> Express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior or actions. That's actually in the Bible. It tells Timothy to do that, right? Maybe you're really good at that. Hallelujah. We need some people like you, I guess. But that's in there. It's okay to be honest about whatever he's talking about right there. But what is he talking about rebuking? I don't like your hair. That's probably not that. You didn't speak to me, probably not that, right? I don't like your clothes, probably not that. What's he talking about rebuking? Here's Timothy, who Paul is passing the ministry of the church onto. What does Paul rebuke in his letters? Openly, every time, sin. Hey, that sin's going to destroy your church. Hey, that sin's going to kill you. Hey, that sin is going to cause you to miss the kingdom of God. He rebukes it over and over and over again in his letter. He's never shy about rebuking sin. He's never shy about it. We live in a church culture today that says, you know what? Never talk about sin. Never mention sin. Sin is bad. God is love. That's true. But what does God love? God loves sinners. And if you don't ever talk about that, then you can't talk about salvation because what do you need to be saved from? Hell? Well, what's the, what's the thing that's causing me to go there? Because the God that loves wouldn't cause me to go there. Do you see the cycle that we get into if you never rebuke? If you never rebuke, you never need a Savior because you never talk about sin. So he says here in the letter, you know what? You can rebuke. You can talk about sin. You can be honest and open about sin. But I love this because he didn't just stop there, did he? Timothy, what I want you to do is rebuke all the time. That's your mission number two. Share the message and rebuke. You just go around and say, sinner, 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 sinner. You're a sinner. You're dying. You're going to hell. You better change your ways. He didn't say that, did he? He said that's part of it. It's a three-part thing, actually. So rebuke, but then he says correct. Now correct is a word that's coming. Yeah, correct is a word that means to put right or error, an error or fault. Correct is a word basically that means to correct course, to change course, to help somebody change, right? To put right something that is wrong. Well, sin is wrong because it does what? Causes you to live away from God. It, it hurts, it damages our relationship with God, the intimacy with God that we were meant to have. Sin will kill you, and, and, and if you want to put that right, you, you need a different course of action, right? It's called repentance, so you can turn from that. Um, and he says that part of that, right, you can rebuke, but then you have to help correct, or you have to help that person change their course. See, a lot of us are professional rebukers. I'm a good rebuker. We're, we're a society of rebukers. We don't like everything. You realize that? We live in a society that just hates itself. Like, we hate everything that we do. Just turn on the news. It's depressing, right? I hate that, hate that, hate that. And then you change the, to a different news station and you can find a whole different group of people that hate everything. Just different hates, right? We live in a society that hates everything and we're professional rebukers because of that. We're great complainers is what I'm saying, I guess. We're really good at whining, I guess, is what I'm really saying. But he says that's not actually where it stops at in the church. You can, you can talk about the dangers of sin from a place of love. You can do that. That sin is going to kill you, brother, and I, I don't want to see you do that. 
you're running from God, and I don't want to see you do that. But then you have to jump on board. If you're going to rebuke, you have to be part of the correction. He says you can help correct. If you're going to rebuke, you have to help that person change course. You cannot fly by, drive by, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. You have to jump in and invest. Hey, I just want to chat with you for a minute. I just want to say this because I missed this. Rebuke is not, I'm going to go tell that person about your sin. That's not rebuking, that's gossiping. And then somebody needs to rebuke you. Rebuking is, hey, I just am worried about this. Are they going to get mad? Probably. Do you like being called out? No, you do not. I don't either. But when you come back and you say, you know what? I love you. I'm not trying to harm you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to drop this in the bucket and run away. I love you, and I want to help you change course. I'm just worried about you. He says, that's part of the job. Rebuke, you can talk about sin. But then you have to help correct. You have to help set right. And then part three, he says, encourage. Now, encourage is to give support or confidence or hope to someone, to, to give hope to someone, to give support to someone, to give confidence to someone. He says, yes, you can rebuke. You can talk about sin in a loving way. And, and yes, you, you can help change course. But when you help them change course, you're not just dropping instructions in. Hey, if you'll just do like me, Right? Hey, if you'll just read your Bible, you stinking sinner. Like, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going I'm to help you change course, and the whole way there, I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader. You can do this. Oh, you can do this. You, you got this. You, you're doing awesome. You're going to get there. I know it's hard. You're going to get there. I know it's difficult. You're going to get there. And this is the mission that he drops here on, on Timothy. He says, hey, I just want you to know there's like two things in your Timothy-specific thing. I want you to proclaim the message, and then also I want you to rebuke and correct and encourage. I want you to do all those things because those three things always come together. You cannot just be an encourager because people will die. You cannot just be a corrector because people will hate you. And you cannot just be a rebuker because no one will listen to you. Those three things come together. They always come together. And if you don't do them together, you probably shouldn't do them at all. And he says, rebuke, correct, and encourage. But then he says this, with what? Great patience. Not a little bit of patience or some kind of patience or kind of almost patience. He says, with great patience. Why do you need that? Because people are going to mess up. Timothy, don't give up on the church because they're not going to get it the first time. Timothy, don't just write them off because they continue to mess up. Rebuke, correct, and encourage, and then do it again when they screw up, and then do it again when they screw up, and then do it again when they screw up with great patience. So, like, for the rest of your life, you're going to be in this cycle, right? What Moses do? People messed up. Moses got mad. Then he pleaded with God, right? Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. He never said, ah, just kill him. It's fine. probably felt like it a couple times but he says encourage with great patience and teaching because it's going to take a while for them to learn this he says in three for the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine in other words they're not going to care about what you're talking about they're going to disregard the great truths of this book it's going to be a time that comes when they're not going to want to hear this anymore. This is what he's saying. It says, but according to their own desires, desire uh, I have is not an important definition, but it's, just, it's a strong feeling of wanting or having something or wishing for something to happen. Desire is just like strongly wanting something. It says, but according to their own desires or their own wants, their own strong wants, they will accumulate teachers for themselves. Oh, they're going to listen, right? It's not that they're going to quit listening. That's not what he's saying. It's just they're going to quit listening to the truth. It's not that they won't have podcasts and they won't have direct downloads and messages and they won't have YouTube preachers out there. YouTube theologians are the worst, by the way. They won't have YouTube theologians out there sharing all this stuff that you're like, I have no idea where you get that from. They will listen to stuff. It just won't be the truth because they don't want the truth. This is they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an itching ear to hear something new. You know why? Because they don't want to hear this stuff anymore because this is old news. 
Quit preaching about grace. We already got that. We covered it. Right? Preach at the cross. We're done with that. Want something new. Want something new. Well, the great thing about that is, is everything new that you haven't heard before is probably heresy. If you've never heard it, probably maybe isn't true. This is they will turn away from hearing the truth and they will turn aside to myths. Now, myths here is not like um, fairy tales. Myths here is people will preach things out of this book that have no basis in this book. These myths that he's talking about is, is there are preachers that will come in and they will dissect two words of a verse and they will have you so confused you'll be believing some nonsense that the Bible never could back up. You've heard people like that, right? Like you come in and you're like, that psalm has like 18 words in it, and you just preach two of them. And if you read the rest of the context, it doesn't actually even mean anything about what you just said it means. That's why context is important. I can pick any two words and have you believe in pretty much anything that I want out of this book. You have to know the book, right? There there are people that will just pick things and just random weird things and they'll cling to that little random weird thing and the Bible maybe 40 other times will even say, that's not a real thing, that's not a real thing, that's not a real thing. And if you don't know your word, you'll believe it. And he says to Timothy, people are going to want that. People are going to desire that. You know why? Because it sounds great to say, if you just say it out loud, God will do it. He's a genie. Where'd you find that? Just rub the little Bible lamp and he'll do whatever you say. That's bull. And you can't support that. Anywhere in this book. Not if you look at the whole book. And there are people leading people down that trail. And people are wondering, I mean, I do it, I must be doing it wrong. No, it's just not in the Bible. And he says, that's what people are going to be looking for. He says, they will turn away from hearing the truth, the actual stuff that's grounded in this word, and they will turn aside to myths, things that come out of this book but are in no way supported by this book. In other words, hey, Timothy, you're not going to be successful. Don't you love that? We put all that weight on the front end. Here's the mission. Persist in it. Continue it, even when you don't feel like it. And oh, by the way, most people aren't going to care. He says in the book right there, Timothy, you're not going to lead megachurch number one. First Baptist Ephesus, not for you. We're not going to measure the success of Timothy by the way people look at success. It's not going to be roses and sunshine for you. Actually, they're going to throw rocks at you just like they threw rocks at me because they don't want to hear sound truth. Timothy, I want you to do this. Please do this. God's called you to do this, and you're not going to be good at it. Not how people think anyway. Isn't that crazy? Timothy, they're not going to be building shrines to you in any of these cities, is what he's saying. Timothy, you're not, <laughs> you're not going to get your own book in the New Testament. But do it, because it's worth it. Now, I know that you look at that and you're like, brother, that's awesome, but what's that mean to me, Right? Because I'll be honest with you, that's a very Timothy-specific call. It is, right? I mean, I, I could make a strong argument today how all those things are for all the people in this room because Jesus has said to do all those things in his word, right? There's multiple times Jesus says, hey, go proclaim the message. Go tell people about Jesus. Go share the gospel. There's a million places that he, he said that. And I won't try to argue you into that this morning. We know that. We know that. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that. We've all been called to do that. And there's places in the Bible where it says rebuke, correct, encourage, over and over and over again. That's not the only place that's, that's mentioned there. But I will say, like, this letter was written to who? 
Timothy. It was not a, a grand, wide church letter. It was not meant in the eyes of Paul for church consumption. So this is not everybody in the room's maybe specific call. But what I will say is, if you know Jesus, you've been called to something. Right? Jesus didn't call any sitters. I'll just be honest. Like If you're just a sitter and, and you're like, I'm just barely getting through this Christian thing. I'm trying to walk the line and I'll be as good as I have to and I'll come as much as I have to and I'll pray as much as I have to and I'll read as much as I have to. I'm just kind of on the line, but I'm not really going to invest in this thing. Like God didn't call any of those people. That's a true story. You can amen that or you can not amen that. Like That's truth today. And if it hurts, it's called conviction. Own up to it. He didn't call anybody to do that. There was nobody in the Bible. He's like, you know what? You, you can just come as close as you can to get to heaven, but I never want you just to jump over into a relationship with God. I just want you to be like heaven directionally. But don't ever invest. Right? Actually, he sent a man away for that. Rich young ruler walks in. Hey, what do I have to do to get to heaven is the question he asked Jesus, right? Like, what's the bare minimum I have to do to get to heaven? And he, he says, I want you to give up everything and follow me, right? Like, not, I mean, I'll come, come to church sometimes, put a little money in, be involved in special events, read something every once in a while, pray before you go to bed. What do you say to the guy? Give up everything and follow me. That's the call for every person that will ever come after Jesus. Need more evidence? Take up your cross and follow me. Die and then come after me. Right? That's not a balancing kind of thing. He didn't call anybody to anything less than that. And if you're doing less than that, you're not living in the calling of God. And again, if that hurts, it's called conviction. Own up to it. Put your big boy pants on and get over it. I'm just trying to help you know and love Jesus better. So I'm not saying that that's everybody's specific calling, but what I am saying is that God has called everybody to do something, and he's equipped everybody with some ability, right? Like everybody in the room, actually everybody on the planet has some ability that can be useful in the kingdom of God. We, we can start with the basics. What's, what's God called us to do? Well, God's called us to love his word, right? Like newborn infants desire the pure, unadulterated spiritual milk. Read the Bible. I think it's First Peter. It's called everybody to do that. Okay, so like, I'm not saying today we got to leave here and be like, man, I want to be a missionary to Africa. Maybe that's you, probably not you. But I am saying we can all live, leave here and agree on the fact that God wants us to know who he is. It's called everybody to do that. All right, you can't follow a guy you don't know. You're fooling yourself if you think you can. All right, how many times does Jesus talk about praying? Over and over and over again, right? even teaches us how to pray. So would, would that be something we would all consider to be a piece of our calling from God? We all have the ability to pray, right? The reason we don't pray is because actually we don't believe our prayer is getting anywhere because we work off feelings, right? So we pray a prayer and we don't feel like God heard it, so we don't pray. But if God said, I hear your prayers, and if God said, I'll answer your prayers, what do your feelings actually matter in the whole equation, right? Your feelings don't matter. Continue to pray, right? God will continue to answer, and eventually you'll believe, oh yeah, he hears what I'm praying. That those are things we can all agree on, right? That, so, so if that's like the bare minimum starting place today, uh, I don't ever do any of that stuff, then start there. If you're killing it in the I read the Bible category and you're killing it in the I pray category, God didn't just drop off there, right? Like there's something for you to do. There's a mission that God has given you. And, and for most of you, I'll just be honest, with that probably comes this, you won't be successful. right? It's not easy. You won't be good at it, right? Take up your cross and follow me. Die daily. Is anybody in the room good at that? No, but it doesn't mean stop, does it? Persist in it, whether convenient or not, right? Like we can apply this to whatever our call is. God has said, not Paul, not some preacher, not some man, not whoever on the stage, like said the thing that caused you to come down front and, and pray some prayer. God has said, if you're going to follow me, follow me. He never invited anybody to halfway follow him. And we're all bad at it, but nowhere did he say quit. So whatever that call is for you, right? 
whatever that looks like. God speaks to hearts. I don't have to bang, 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 bang everybody in the room. Some of you, God's saying, hey, you need to get involved. Some of you, God's saying, you need to read your Bible. Some of you, God's saying, hey, you need to pray more. Some of you, God's saying something way crazier than that. But to all of us, he's probably saying, you know what? Most people are not going to make it onto a big stage. That's not what I've called you to. Most people are not going to be noticed and notarized every time they walk in the church. Oh, that dude, that guy's the man. Yeah, he's the one. Like, most people are not going to get that. Do it anyway. Some people will never get noticed by anybody except their circle. Do it anyway. I've not called you to popularity or influence. I've called you to follow. And anything I've called you to do is worth doing. Anything. Right? Do you believe that? Like anything God has called you to do is worth doing. It doesn't take a pat on the back to keep you doing what you know God has called you to do. It doesn't take somebody clapping every time you walk in the building to keep you doing what God has called you to do. Because if God has called you to do it, you'll do it because God called you to do it. If man has called you to do it, it's going to take a clap. If man has called you to do it, you're going to need to pat on the back. If God has called you to do it, you don't need any of that stuff. And that's what he's telling Timothy. So here's what I would say today is that God has called all of us to do something, has he not? He didn't call any sitters. If you're just completely a sitter, you need to decide if he's even called you. But God didn't call any sitters. And whatever God has called us to do is worth doing whether we ever get notoriety from it or not. So to all of us, you may not be successful, do it anyway. It may not always be fun, do it anyway. Dying is not usually fun. But that's what he called us to. And then we jump back in, and this maybe is not a Timothy exclusive. But as for you, you're not going to be good at it, but as for you, Keep a clear head about everything. In other words, you know what? This is serious. Treat it like it's serious. Endure hardships. It's going to be hard. It's in the word, right? Keep going. It says, do the work of an evangelist. Again, Matthew 28. Go read it. He's called us all to it. And then he says this, fulfill your ministry fulfill your ministry fulfill is just a word that means to carry out a task a duty or a role as required or pledged or expected look at that last word expected first of all god give you something to do and he expects you to do it right there off the bat fulfill do what god expects you to do but let's even go beyond that one word back says pledged I just bet money on anybody that's ever come down here in any church and said a prayer where we said, God, save us. Somewhere in that prayer was, I give you my life in some form. Maybe not those words, but I give you my life, right? We've all prayed something like that before. What is that? It's a pledge. God, it's not my life, but it's your life. You've called me to do something. Here at this moment, when you saved me, you didn't just save me from hell, you saved me to some work. And I pledge today, right, in the prayer, I pledge today, I'll do it. Fulfill your ministry. Do what you said you'd do. Fulfill is to carry out a task, do your role, as required, pledged, or expected. And that's what God, I think, is saying maybe to all of us today. That's the definition of run hard. Just do what I've called you to do, right? Let me, let me just, just catch you up here. If you're not a public speaker, then don't sit around waiting for God to call you to preach. Do what he's called you to do. Amen? Amen. 
If you are not a musician, right, like I can't sing on key, I can't play anything, don't sit around waiting for God to call you to learn an instrument. Do what God has called you to do. Run in your lane. Do the thing that God said for you to do. If he said to teach, then teach. If he said to make coffee, make coffee with the best of them. If he said to sweep the floor, like that's my spiritual gift, God, I am a good sweeper, then do that thing. If you're friendly, you know what you could do? You could talk to people. That's great. What does Jesus say about his church? They'll know that you're mine by how you love each other. How many churches do you walk in and nobody's talked to me today? You know why? Because all the lovers in the room are sitters in the room. They didn't say you know your mind by what kind of music you sing or how you dress or how what the preacher's doing. They said they know your mind by how you love each other. If all the lovers are sitting down, then what are we doing? Well, my job's not important. All I can do, I mean, I'm just friendly. I can hug people, but I mean, nobody really cares about that. Nobody's going to notice. Nobody's going to see me. Nobody's going to give me a name tag. <laughs> Sitting down. If you're a builder, build, right? If you are an athlete, move stuff. <laughs> right? Like, really? Move stuff for the glory of God. Hey, show up every day. What do you need me to do? I could pick things up. I'm not friendly. I'm not a hugger. I'm not a musician. I can pick stuff up for the glory of God. Right? Like, you know, I don't even have to go down everything. All I'm saying is, like, God's called us all to do something. And the command maybe we can all get around is not, I'm an evangelist. I I can make an argument for that. I'm just going to leave that off this morning. But the command is fulfill your ministry to all of us. Do what God has called you to do to all of us. Now I get some people, you're like, man, I, I, I'm afraid to get out there because I'm afraid either A, I'm going to mess it up, or B, nobody's going to notice me, or C, maybe even nobody wants me to do it, right? Like, we can get on board with that. I'm afraid to get out there because I'm afraid some way, somehow, I'm going to get rejected in the thing, right? Like, that's some of us today. Some of us are, dude, I was out there, and I got hurt, so now I'm back here, right? Amen? Like, that's some of us. I put myself out there. I was serving God, and then I, I got kind of stepped on, and, and, and now I'm just kind of holding back from that. And here's what I think Paul might say to all of us today in that, because he's already said, like, right, like, do it whether it's convenient or not, do it whether you feel like it or not, do it whether it's hard or not. Like, he's already said that, but, but I love that he didn't just leave us there. What he said in 6 was this amazing thing. He said to Timothy, hey, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. In other words, Dude, the sacrifice is already happening. I'm dead. I'm at the end of my life is what he's saying. I've already been poured out as a drink offering. I've given everything I have to give, and the time for my departure is close. I'm leaving this planet. But then he says in 7, and I love this, because most of us couldn't say this if we left here today. I fought the good fight. Right? Like most of us, just to be honest, most of us would be like, I mean, I, I looked at the ring. I didn't fight no fights. You don't fight fights unless you get in the ring, by the way. Sitters don't fight. You can't go to heaven on, I fought the good fight, if all you did was sit. If you never tried to follow God, I'm not trying to talk us all into a job today. I'm just saying God called us to follow and let's do it, whatever that looks like. And some of us are going to leave this place and we're not going to be able to say I fought the good fight because we never got in the ring. I watched some good fights. Maybe that's what ours would be. But Paul here said, I fought the good fight. In that we see, A, it's hard. B, it's worth it. I took some punches in the face, but it was a good fight, right? I finished the race. I've crossed the finish line. The race is over. I've done all the running. But then he says this, I've kept the faith. You know what he's not talking about? I huddled this up for myself my whole life. I believed, oh, I believed. He's saying every time I got punched in the face, I always believed it was worth it because I've seen that God is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do. Every time I got tripped or I fell over a hurdle, I got back up. You know why? Because I believed that God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he'll do. You know why I ran? Because I believed he was worth it. 
You know why I fought? Because I believed he was worth it. I fought the good fight, and I can say that because, man, I kept my eyes locked on that the whole time. I've run the race. I'm done with the race. Like I'm, I'm here, and, and I can say that, man, I feel good about that because I, I kept my eyes on him all the time. Do you realize the position he's in at this moment? He's saying, man, I've done everything there is for God that God has told me to do. I'm telling you to fulfill your ministry because I'm standing here in a place of fulfilled ministry. I've done everything that God's called me to do. You, you don't understand at the end of your life, like I'm not, even, I'm not even on the last day yet here if I'm Paul, and I can stand around and say, you know what, I've done everything. You know how good that would be? Man, I checked the whole list, checked it two times, three times. I've done everything that God has called me to do. And I didn't do it because I just loved pain and punishment. I didn't do it because of that. I didn't do it because it was easy the whole time. You know how many times Paul got put in jail, got rocks thrown at him? Actually, even when God called him, he said, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. That's what he said about him. He didn't say, I'm going to call him to a giant platform. I'm going to start a bunch of churches with him. I'm going to help him write the whole Bible. He didn't say any of that. He said, I'm going to make him suffer. He's going to do it his whole life. Because I want people to know that I'm something worth suffering for. And if you're willing to endure a little bit of suffering, look what I'll do with your life. And he's standing here at the end, and he said, man, I've, I've suffered a whole bunch, but I just want you to know I've done everything that, that God has called me to do. And, and Timothy, it's a pretty amazing spot here. Um, in the future, whenever I, I get beheaded, right, <laughs> there is reserved for me a crown of righteousness. There's the crown with my name on it in heaven. It's amazing. But then he says this. Not only me, but to all those who have loved his appearing, who have looked for him, who've kept the faith, who have run toward that moment. It's, it's not just a crown for me. I, I got a crown, but everybody can, can get a crown if they'll just fulfill the ministry. If you'll just run towards him, everybody can get the crown. What an amazing spot for him to be standing in to write this letter to Timothy. Hey, brother, I'm heaping a lot of trouble on you right now in this ministry thing. I just want you to know that. But in that, I want you to know, man, I'm standing here. I finished the race. All I'm waiting on is like God to come and, and to place the crown on me. It's this image, like if you watch the Olympics where they're on the three boxes and there's the guy on the number one box and they're just standing up there waiting for somebody to come by and be like hanging the medal on him. He's, he's like in that moment where I've already won the race. I'm just standing here waiting on the crown. And he looks back at Timothy in this moment and he says, you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it, so come on. Now there, I, yeah, I, I'm very aware that are about to chop my head off. I'm very aware of that. I'm very aware I'm in jail, and this is the worst of the uh, moments that I've been in jail. I've been in jail before. I've been, like, fake killed, like, four times now. Uh, I'm, I'm very aware that it's hard, but I'm also very aware in this moment that it's worth it. And I think, really, if we could leave with anything today, that would be the thing, right? You've been hurt, right? It's worth it. Come on. You're afraid to put yourself out there. It's worth it. Come on. I'm, I'm afraid if I, if I follow him and I start putting some of these things to the side that, 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 that I'm, I'm going to miss something. And he says, worth, it's worth it. It's worth it. You run toward God. You just run towards God, whatever that looks like for you. I'm not talking you into Timothy's ministry today. I'm just saying God has a call for you. There's something he's called you to. And, and Paul here today, I think he's saying to everybody, come on. It's worth it. Whatever God's called you to do, it's worth it. Whatever God's told you, it's worth it. So go. Go do the thing. Run hard. And at the end, be able to say these words when you stand before God. Hey, you know what? I fought the good fight. And him look back and say, yes, you did. Oh, I run the race. You, you did. And you kept the faith. Yeah, you did. Well done. Well done. Let's pray.